What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Today, Elliot alongside me. Um, our episode is going to be with Chris Jobman, so stay tuned for that one. It's going to be um, a fun one. We've had him on multiple times before. Um, definitely a very colorful and charismatic character, um, full of dog knowledge and, and hunting experience, so uh, going to be a good one. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing great, man. We are in... I would consider this mid-season. For some people, it's early season waterfowl hunting. For me, <laughs> some it's light certainly too. smack in the middle, mid-season. You think it's late season? I guess um, it depends on where you're at. For some people, yeah, yeah. For me, it's smack in the middle of the season. I got, I've got, i got, uh, I think, 16 hunts under my belt out of about 35. So I would certainly, for me, call this right in the middle. I am on pace for the best hunting season of my life, numbers-wise. So I'm, man, it's (laughs) going good, going good. Awesome. Yeah, definitely can't complain about that. Um, Well, maybe I can. I'm having, I think, the worst season of my life. So we got two colorful contrasts here. Oh, boy. But uh, um, I was actually able to finally find um, a pretty good, fun hunt um, this last weekend. We shot an insane rare duck is what I called it, but... Yeah. Um, it, it was a hybrid black duck, so that was pretty cool. Videos up on YouTube yeah. already. Yeah, I thought I, when you guys when you sent that picture on Marco Polo with the Flyways group, I was pretty excited about that. That was cool. And then Thomas, like, that's not a black duck. I I, <laughs> I almost just said, "Shut up, Thomas." <laughs> but then he went. I was like, "It's actually better than a black duck." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, always full of that kind of knowledge. So yeah, um, he's an intelligent kid. Yeah. Articulate. Yeah. We're talking oh, yeah. about Thomas from Virginia Outdoors Unlimited. One of our flyways collective buddies. Yeah. He's definitely way cooler than Matt too, so <laughs> you are just always on poor Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah. All right. So, so I've got I've got a quick question for you. Um I just watched a video of Matt and he shot a limit with the twenty eight gauge, and I know all of the flyways guys right now, except for Thomas and myself, are really getting into this sub gauge, you know, 20, 28s. It's like running through the flyways like a virus. Josh has just got a 20 gauge. <laughs> and and here, I'm, I'm not, a- I am not anti, I don't mean virus in a negative way. I sound that way. I'm not anti sub gauge. What I don't understand is give me a, give me like the why. Why, why would you want to shoot a 28 gauge? Why would you want to shoot a 20? Why would you want to shoot a 410? What's yeah. the why? Okay. So for, first off, I want to say bef- I shot sub gauges before it was cool. Like now it's cool. Like everybody's putting it in their video titles and 20 gauge mm-hmm. limit and all this. And I'm like, and I've been shooting my grandpa's A5 20 gauge forever. And he shot it, you know, for, for quell and um, upland, upland hunting. Um, and so, I, I just want to say I, I was doing it before school. Now it's super cool. It's the hip thing to do. Everybody's got a twenty gauge, um, but yeah, no, I don't know, man. They just I, I love shooting a twenty gauge. Actually, Chris Jobin, I, I know he talked about on one of our previous podcasts. That's all he shoots as well. So um, I don't know. I, I think one there's a misconception about like twenty gauges being like underpowered because they're a smaller gun. I mean, the BBs fly at the same exact velocity. You're shooting the same thing. Um, there's less of them. There's less of there's, them. Though. There's less of them, but not all your BBs are hitting anyway. So, But there's um, still less BBs. Yeah, but, le- I mean, how many does it take to, to get a kill shot? That's what your uh, 
that's like saying you have less BBs hit a bird because you're shooting a fuller choke, right? No, 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 no. A, a wider that's, open that's choke. Not, that's not. That's one hundred percent the same thing. No, it, no, it's. <laughs> hold on, let me let me think about it for a okay. second. A full choke, more BBs hit the bird than an improved cylinder. But yeah, okay. But you're talking about constricting BBs versus there just literally being less of them coming out of the shell. So it's. I understand what you're saying, and it is, I guess, a decent comparison. And I'm not, again, I'm not anti sub. Um, I just, if I'm ever going to entertain the idea of going down that path, I want someone to say, what is the appeal? What is the draw? And for me, I can tell you that the negative in my mind is there's less shot coming out of the yeah. shell. And certainly, um, okay, if you're, if you're going to be spraying and praying, which we love to do, you want to spray <laughs> with as much pellets as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, no doubt about it. The 12 gauge shell definitely has more BBs in it, but um, no doubt about it, a full choke hitting a bird that you shot, you know, a perfect shot on, there's more BBs hitting it. So, I mean, there's, there's given all of that, right? Um, I'll say that definitely one positive that you're going to notice, it's the same thing if you go from like a, a three and a half inch shell to a two and three quarter inch shell, the amount of kick that you have from that shell and mm-hmm. the, the amount of time it takes you to get on a bird again, like just a 20 gauge is like, it literally, like you just don't even feel it. You know what I mean? You're just yeah. right on onto the bird immediately um, I would say it's it's pretty similar. Like this, when we shoot two and three quarter inch fives out of the the twelve gauge boss, um, I mean those are really really smooth out of, out of a twelve gauge. Almost no kick, it's super deadly. Um, but there's less BBs, right? You're, you're going down. So uh, there's definitely give to all of that. And I think that a twenty gauge. Um, I mean, last year I shot almost. The whole season I shot the 20 gauge and my shooting mm-hmm. percentage was way better than it is right now with the 12 gauge. So it's like, um, it's just not like a, a one-to-one comparison as far as like, I just don't think that the 20 gauge gets kind of a bad rap, um, as far as like being underpowered. Uh, but if you're a skilled shooter, it, it's, I don't think it makes a difference. Uh, you put a three inch 20 gauge shell in there and, um, I'll shoot that all day. And I'm not anti 20 at all. I'm not, um, our friend of the podcast, Matt Farmer, he he likes to go with a four ten sometimes, and um, I'm I, I can see having such a little gun destroying a mallard. It's like there's a novelty to it, but it's kind of like if you went golfing and you're like, here, give me this little kid's golf club, and you grab it and you hit a golf ball 300 yards. You know, that you would feel like such a stud. I can kind of <laughs> see that with like a if I was gonna do it, I I think I would probably skip the twenty and go to the twenty eight. Yeah. Um, because it like, you're the thought of like a four, you got this little four ten, right? And yeah. you're, and you're finishing mallards so close that you're dropping them dead as a hammer with a four ten. Um, I can see the kind of how that would be very, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, stimulating, very, very, very cool. Yeah. So I think I, if I, I were think to do the... it, I would go straight to a 28 gauge, I think probably. Yeah. I think the four ten is honestly, it's like all the way at the bottom. Um, as far as like size of shells, you can actually mm-hmm. shoot birds with, and that's like the if you're an expert and you can finish birds all the way in, um, you you know you're going to be in a hunt where you're going to finish birds all the way in because that's not something you're going to really have a lot of range with. Um, but honestly, I feel like the twenty gauge is easier than a twelve gauge. That's just my honest opinion. Yeah, like I think people that are new hunters should start with a twenty gauge, not a twelve gauge. Um. I don't know. It's it's just an awesome gun. Do, so 
I, like, I would love to see a pattern test because, um, okay. So he, here's where, here's where the lack of pellets are going to play out in my mind and correct me if you think I'm off here. If you go back with, let's say you get a boss five, two and three course in three and two and three fourths inch, 12 gauge shell versus a 20 shell. And you go and you do your 30, 30 um, inch diameter circle on a piece of paper and you back off 25 yards and you, you shoot at that pattern, your 12 gauge, your 12 gauge pattern is going to be more dense with shells with, with the shot. It's going to be because there are more shots there. So my concern is that you're leaving at, at a certain range. Aren't you leaving more holes in your pattern? Yeah, where, no, I think I think you're probably right as far as that goes. Um, but at a certain range, you you could have a tighter restricted. I don't know because the barrel's smaller, so it, it's kind of there's some weird things that go into it as far as the math and all that. You have a smaller barrel on the twenty gauge. Um, yeah, so I don't know as far as the numbers. I, I would definitely like to see the same the same uh, uh, I guess pattern side by side can comparison that you're that, that you're would be interesting about. that would be it interesting would be. but you could say the same thing about 16 gauge you're like well yeah so why don't you use a 16 gauge yeah. and then you could say yeah well why don't you use a 10 gauge you know what i mean it could yeah. go on and on and clear down the rope so you're using this elephant gun right so um just it just thoughts just interesting yeah. conversation i will tell you that i do think it, it drives me nuts because i've seen comments about it when i'm using a 20 gauge or something like that i mean i've shot multiple triples on canada geese Mm-hmm. You know, even in, even in our late season, drop dead every single one of them, a zero cripples with a twenty gauge on on geese, like multiple. You know, so it's like it's definitely a deadly gun, and sure, the BBs that come out of it, they're coming out the same speed as your twelve gauge. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so there's gives and takes to all of it. Yeah, and there's it's a viable, it's absolutely a viable waterfowling gun. Um, I would have more worries about a 28 gauge, even though I just said that's what I'd probably go to. But if I shot a 28 gauge and I send a couple sailors on the first hunt, you know, I'd be like, Oh, what have I done? What have I done? But <laughs> I don't know. A 28 gauge would be pretty fun to have. I think. Yeah. Yep. I, my, my thought is a 28 gauge is, is about equivalent to shooting a proof cylinder out of a 12 gauge. Mm, maybe <laughs> it might be. I just, might be. I'm just giving you a hard time. I, shoot- I don't know. I've been shooting modified this season, so, but. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I just have to go back to those old jokes because they're, they're the ones that Old, get me, crusty. They get me all riled up and excited, so. <laughs> I yeah. just can imagine our listeners on their on their way to work getting just as much of a kick out of it as me, so <laughs> I'm probably right. <laughs> probably. Right. Well, um, I guess any other updates or you want to go ahead and um, get rolling into the podcast? I, you know, I want to get right into getting Chris Jobman on here because I don't think that people listening from what I can tell from the numbers ever get enough of things he has to say. So yeah, I say we get to him as quickly as we can. Awesome. I will say before we jump into it, guys, we got the flowers collective club coming up in the beginning of December so early part of December, it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned. There's going to be podcast content ac- across three different podcasts from the Flyways Collective. There's going to be videos across all six of our channels, videos on the combined channel. I mean, there's going to be so much content coming out this December from the Flyways Collective about this collab. 
it's going to just actually for like and not even just this December. I think the content's going to be stretched out for a long time. So uh, I know everybody's really excited about that. Um, but just to give everybody a quick plug, you know, we got um, Josh Outdoor Limits, Mid Valley Mercenary. We got Titus from Mid Valley Mercenary. We got um, uh, Thomas from Virginia Outdoors Unlimited. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, Duck and Chronicles. I definitely didn't leave out anybody. Definitely didn't leave out Matt from High Prairie Sportsman on purpose. Um, but <laughs> he's up um, on you like 500 subs now. I know. He's a freaking. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So um, you just had to say it, Elliot. I didn't want you to say it. Yeah. Well, so, you're going to, you're going to stick glue in his nose and yank out his nose hairs. I so. know. I, I got just in time, just in time to do that. So. I'm luckily luckily we didn't agree on anything for the twenty gauge the the twenty gauge the twenty k race because now I can pick something super easy and nice. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then the podcast MVM show that's Titus's podcast, and then Matt and Thomas are over there contributor contributors on the Falfront podcast, and then um, yours truly Duck Gun podcast. So those are all the plugs for the Flyway Collective guys. Check everybody out on all that. Be staying tuned because we're super excited about it. We got a long list of, of content and hunts that we got planned, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, but yeah, alrighty, let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners, and then we'll jump into today's podcast. First off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Boss Shot Shells, American Made Bismuth. We've already been talking about them here a little bit on the podcast, but they are copper coated bismuth um, and a very high quality shell. Uh, like Elliot and, and I are saying, we're both running those. Um, two and three-quarter inch fives for ducks is my go-to. It's probably my favorite all-time shell of anything. It's just super deadly. Um, and I never thought, you know, a couple of years back, I never thought I'd be saying that about a two and three-quarter inch shell. Um, but it's freaking awesome. So uh, definitely check out all them over there at Boss Shot Shell. And I will say, I will say about the shell, um, you know, the real kind of um, – in my opinion, the real plus to it is obviously the bismuth. You got um, a denser material, and you can go up in shot size to a, a five, which you know traditionally people don't shoot fives at ducks with the steel. And so you got more BBs in your pattern. You got a denser pattern, and you're able to have more lethal knockdown power. So definitely check out those guys, BossShotShells.com. And I will say quickly, add in to Boss. Um, this is my second year using Boss. I keep track of my shooting percentage. And the holy grail for me and Aiden, we're always chasing, is that season of shooting 60% for the whole season. And this year I'm at 62.5 using Boss. The one hunt I didn't use Boss, I shot like crap. So take that for what you want. Man, that is an amazing load and shell. Um, HTR Innovations, the product code, which I – just had someone asking us about product codes today. This is Duck Gun Space 10. You can get uh, A-Frame, a Quack Pack, which is like a um, duck decoy bag and a layout blind mix into one layout pad and the gun stand. And I, I have a gun stand missing a piece um, that I'm still waiting to come in the mail. Uh, hopefully that'll arrive someday. But it was my fault because I left my previous one out in the marsh. But once you start using that gun stand, you're going to want it with you anytime you are sitting in water, ankle deep to knee deep. Trust me, you want that gun stand. I, it's just an amazing product, all American-made stuff. So check out HTR Innovations for any of those products. And don't forget that product code to get 10% off and free shipping. Awesome. Uh, also like to give a big thanks out to Gunner Kennels, another American-made product here. 
Um, and they got some new stuff with their um, dog food box. So definitely check out that. Some new hot stuff going on. And it's an update on their website as well. I want to mention that. It's gunner.com um, instead of Gunner Kennels now. Uh, so gunnerkennel.com. Um, but again, all their products are American-made, double-wall, roto-molded. They got the five-star crash test rated, um, perfect for getting your your um, dog from point A to point B during the season, whether it's a local hunt or you're going on a trip. Um, your dog will be riding in the tanks of dog kennels. Um, and, you know, we put a lot of time investment into our companions, our hunting buddies. Um, and not only that, but we just want to protect them because we love our dogs. Uh, so it always feels weird talking about them as like a <laughs> something you put investment in time. But I mean, but it is true because it takes a ton of work to get a duck dog where you want it to be. Um, so you want to keep them healthy and uh, and hunting for as long as possible. So definitely check out those guys. Gunner Kennels and code is DuckGun10, no space. They updated that for us. DuckGun10, no space for 10% off over there. Um. Motion motion ducks decoy spreader. I've been talking for a while. This is a big problem I had. As my records show that every time the wind is below five miles an hour, um, my hunting suffers greatly. It's uh, about a 2.5 ducks per hunt average without any motion. Uh, I'm sorry, without any wind. And it goes to a full duck more per hunt with wind above five miles an hour. So uh, we've been talking about only going to really small motion sets during those scenarios. And we tried it out just the other day. I was with the Chasing Green Boys um, from Arkansas. They came up and we had a day there was zero wind. I mean, flat, flat water. And all we had is I had an, uh, had eight ducks on a motion decoy decoy spreader and then we had a few other ducks around because when you get that motion that motion will get around so you can use a few other ducks around that but it was mostly just using the the motion spreader for the set now there was not a lot of ducks flying on this day but i can tell you almost every group of mallards that worked us did it perfect came right in and that just doesn't happen on flat wind flat water i mean no motion on the water can kill those ducks from finishing and we finished them uh, the video's up. You can go look at it, um, and you can see it in action. Um, the ducks finished with that motion on the decoys, and that's all the evidence you need. Um, with those days with no wind, you get one of those double spreaders. Maybe a couple, maybe just go with like a dozen decoys, maybe a dozen and a half. Jerk that sucker like crazy, and it makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, decoy, or I'm sorry, product code all caps Duck Gun 2020 for 10 percent off and free shipping. Awesome. And I definitely want to add to that a little bit. I think I said it on the last podcast as well, but um, I've been using that more and more opposed to other motion um, options. And I mean, this year I've actually used it a ton. And like I said, I'm a believer. Seven seven mile per hour and less, it's, it's like that is the only thing I'm using. And I don't even go to the extent you're going with adding anything else. I just grab that and I go... Um, it's perfect, you know, like kayak situations and, and real small water. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing I haven't tried it on is obviously like big water because, you know, that's something I've always done in the past. Big water, you want a bigger spread to kind of draw attention. But in these smaller places, I mean, no wind. I'm just I'm just running with that, and, and it's working great. So Yeah, certainly. All right. Next, I want to give a big thanks out to Onyx. Um, guys, this is probably the number one hunting-related thing that I use when I'm not hunting. It's actually insane the amount of time 
I use on Onyx. I mean, I'm glad they don't have a tracker for number of hours that I, <laughs> that I scour the maps. Um, but honestly, I should probably do a video. I've actually, I've got, uh, I showed, actually showed Swamp Man, my organization for um, Onyx. And when you put a pin, you can put the pin, then you can put the species, and then you can put the color. And so currently for every color available, it means a different thing on my Onyx. So <laughs> for example... For example, um, if I pin something and I mark it as blue, it's a place that I want to go and ask for permission. If I pin it as white, it means I've went and I've got permission. If I pin it as black, it means that I've asked and I didn't get permission. If I pin it as light blue, it means that I went there and they weren't home. So <laughs> there's awesome. tons of options. Um, honestly, there's there's more colors and more more meanings for all of it. But when I had all just red straight across the map, it was so hard to keep track of everything. But I literally spend hours on this per week looking at places, um, looking at different places I want to ask for permission. Um, actually just ran up tonight and had to mark some more as black because I got nose on permission. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is it syncs perfect with your, with your desktop as well. Um, so I'm going on a little bit. A little bit about it, but there's tons of tons of awesome things to do with Onyx when it comes to gaining more places to hunt, um, and it seems like you can never have enough because if one place doesn't have birds or one area doesn't have birds, maybe another place does, um, or if you're going to hunt multiple times a week, so it's definitely a huge plus to be able to go and real time scout. You can see, you can click on the map, see who owns it, um, see where they live, go there, ask for permission. Same with public land; you can see it's public land and know that you're. Um, know where you stand and be able to, to hunt legally and not have to worry about, you know, DNR or something like that coming and checking on you because you already know that you're doing right. So um, anyways, check out those guys on X, download the app or check them out online as well. I'm going to talk about the finisher product and Jordan knows, I wouldn't say I was skeptical of this product. I didn't really want to use it myself. Um, I have no issue with ringing necks or whatever. And, and so when people started using this, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm sure that works, but now that I've had it in my hand and I see it in action in use, it's just a much more ethical way to quickly dispatch a bird that comes back to you, looking at you and blinking. Um, it's just a much better product. That's all. That's all I can say. It's, it's, it's the ethical way to finish that bird's life. The website is adrenal, A-D-R-E-N-A-L-line.com. And the promo code is DuckGun15. I, I, at this point, I think everyone should have one on their lanyard. It, it is, especially with, especially with those big geese, it's hard to finish off a goose. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some instances that I would never, ever post in my YouTube videos because it's a difficult to kill those geese. We These, these creatures deserve the respect um, to... When they, when your dog brings them back, when you pick them up and they just have a broken wing, we need to be dispatching them as humanely as possible. And finisher is the way to do it. And it's the only way to do it on the market I know of. So go pick one of those up, guys. It, really, go pick one up. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to ba- to Bandit Avery. Combine the words to Bavery, but Bandit <laughs> Avery and Greenhead Gear. Um, you can find every product from decoys to dog gear to apparel to, um, you know, duck hunting t-shirts and and stuff just to look cool. Um, 
you know, Elliot and I have been running tons of their gear from blind bags and, and the waders and the decoys um, and been loving it all. Uh, you know, anytime that, that we can go over there and hop on the website and <laughs> just daydream about um, new ducking gear, you know, that's the place to do it because it's literally an all-in-one shop for anything duck hunting related. Um, you can check out them at banded.com for all your duck hunting needs. All righty. Well, I think that uh, that wraps it up um, on the partners. So let's go ahead, grab Chris, and buckle up because this is going to be a, a fun one. Hey, guys. I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host alongside me, Elliot, per usual, of Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest tonight is Chris Jobman, the owner and head trainer of Flatlander Kennels. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Doing well. Hi, guys. How are you? Long time no talk. <laughs> awesome. You're you're getting up there and uh, on appearances on the podcast. Um, so definitely super excited to have you on here. Um, you know, ever since ever guys, since the first time we must be hurting, you must be hurting <laughs> for guests. <laughs> uh, we just try to you're we try to modest. have the good ones back. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know, just to give the listeners who haven't listened to the previous ones. Uh, kind of a brief introduction of who you are and what you got going on. Let's let's start from that. Yeah, well, uh, like you said, Chris Jobman and I own Flatlander Kennels. Uh, we're out here in western Nebraska, and this is our 20th, almost 21st year doing it. And uh, we run a lot of hunt tests. We run AKC hunt tests. We run HRC hunt tests. We train gun dogs as well, of course. And, um, we do a lot of hunting ourselves and we basically, you know, we train retrievers and we travel the country running hunt tests and field trials and training gun dogs and hunting and kind of just living a outdoor life with ducks and dogs. Awesome. And, uh, kind of, kind of do a little flashback to the first podcast we had you on here. And to this day, this is probably one of my favorite stories from the podcast, but, um, you like, like to tell a story about, um, when you're just a youngster out there riding your bike, shooting pheasant. And, uh, for me, that's just such a awesome visual. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I had a Yamaha Enduro 125. I traveled all over Southwest Nebraska killing stuff before I knew <laughs> what limits were limits. And I had a 20 gauge, um, Remington 870 on my handlebars and a 22 Marlin, Marlin 22 on my handlebars. And I take off in the morning with a game vest on, and off I go, and I come back at dark. <laughs> I was I was trying to feed our family, I think, before I knew what that actually meant. That's awesome. Not a lifestyle yeah. that many kids in America get to live anymore, but it, it sounds like a, definitely a, an awesome time. Oh, it was it was. I wouldn't grow up any other way for sure. I'm, I'm sure parents would go to jail now for doing something like that, but. <laughs> My parents had to go for it, and, you know, back then you didn't have cell phones or nothing, and 
my my mom would call her neighbors. Yep, I just saw him go by. You know, ten minutes ago. You know, that could be ten miles from the house. And oh, yep, I just saw him go by. So he they knew where I was at just because of my what um, my neighbors would check in. Hey, he stopped here for lunch. <laughs> you know, I, he, he fed with with the hired hands at the farm, and off he goes. And that's literally oh, how man. I grew up. True story. That would be a fantastic book, just about that little kid's lifestyle, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, uh, Chris, last time last time we talked, um, we talked a lot about your kennels and everything. I'm curious, um, what's going on? Kind of, what's the day to day life right now up there with hunt, during hunting season? I know you still have lots of training responsibilities. What's it look like up there right now in your day to day? Well, you know, so I've got a pretty good sized staff. I've got two assistant trainers. I got one full time other guy that helps around the kennel. He's kind of a do it all guy. And one, I've gotten to a point in my career now that one, and I'll be very honest, I tell this to my clients too, but once our test season's over, once the match national's been ran, once the HRC grand's been done, once that's all done, I'm pretty much done training dogs until middle of February. Um, a lot of them go home, um, go hunting with their families and their owners and stuff. But we also have a lot of young dogs in, in training as well. And, and a lot of yard work to do and lots of pile work to do and marks to do. And, and, and just the young guys coming up. And so I'm pretty much done training. And my assistants handle all the training. Unless they are having trouble with a dog or have, we have a problem dog, then I have to get involved. Then I will help. Um, I am right here. I am 60 yards from the kennel. I see it every day. I talk to him every day. I check in with him every day, but I don't physically put my hand on dogs unless I absolutely have to. My trailer, pretty much the big trailers are cleaned up, put away. Um, they go out in the smaller trailers and train all day long. And, and we don't get a lot of snow up here anyway. And so them guys just put on clothes and go to work. Um, and I, I own a little guiding outfit called Duck Haven Outfitters, and um, we specialize in shooting birds over the North Platte River. And so once duck season starts rolling around, I'm, I'm pretty much managing that. Uh, I don't do a lot of guiding. Um, I have guides that do that for me, and my wife does all the cooking for the lodge and, and, and everything like that. So we're super busy with that. I, I think I probably work more hours right now than I did when I train dogs, it is ridiculous. I'm, I'm pulled every, every direction, but, um, it, that's pretty much the day to day. It's, it's chaos. It's, what it, it's absolute chaos. <laughs> I didn't realize you guys actually had a lodge. So your guide service is the whole deal, a lodge and everything. Whole deal. We have a lodge, a super nice lodge, it sleeps 10. Um, and my wife, Eileen and her mother, grandma, Diane, we call her, they help doing all the cooking and cleaning for the lodge and for the hunters. Um, like we have a group coming in tomorrow on their private jet flying into Scott's Bluff and they'll, they'll go to the lodge and check in and do dinner and, and go out hunting with Rob and the guides and, and off they go. Um, oh, it's, we're, we're I, see, I, busy I, I knew you had a guide service. I didn't realize it was full blown like lodge. Now are you involved with the, uh, so you don't do much of the hunting and much of the, um, meeting the guests and stuff. You're kind of like the manager behind the scenes. In a no, way. I, I meet them. 
I meet them and I talk to them. Um, and I do all that. And there's a few groups a year that I actually will guide. I've known them for years. They've come back for years and years and years. And some of them are dog clients of mine that, that buy hunts with DHO and they can, they bring their dogs and they hunt with their dogs. And, and I do take those. And if we've got a big group of pan in, you know, then it's kind of all hands on deck and I do guide a little bit, but I prefer not to be, be quite honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, we have so much going on. I want to be on the ground or something. I want to be available. If something happens, they need something. I'm there. And, and I may yeah. go. You know, and I may go hunt someplace else on another property with just me and my wife or me and my sons or one of the assistant trainers with a, a young dog that's in here for gun dog training that they need to have some hunting experience. We'll take them. I just, I basically, I run around all over the place. I just walked in the house 20 minutes ago. Um, I've been gone <laughs> oh, all man. day um, working on blinds and stuff like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. another thing that happens here at the kennel is a lot of the, a lot of people, not a lot, but uh, quite a few people leave their older dogs with us as well because they can't have them at home or, or whatever. Or the young dogs coming through the program, uh, they're going to be test dogs. And what we do is we have all of our ponds here, and we have we have blinds and pits on the ponds, and they're really nice. And um, and I, I tell my assistants that you guys can hunt any day you want. You can hunt every morning if you want to but you've got to be back in time to train your dog you have to get that done every day and and they're and our my two assistants jeb and andrew are huge hunters they're they're nuts they're more nuts about it than i am they're in their 20s so and i'm like you know high 40s we're not gonna actually talk about the age but I've been there, done that. So, you know, I'm kind of more of a, hey, turn the heater on type of deal. They're more like, let's crawl, belly crawl, and lay in a ditch. But, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and they can go hunting any day they want. But the deal is, if they hunt Monday through Friday, they have to take a client dog. They, they mm. cannot take a personal dog. So, they'll just start grabbing client dogs that need the hunting experience, and they'll take out dogs, and they'll hunt them, and take pictures, and we'll send them to their owners, and and, and they'll do that all week long. Quite the life they've got. On those dogs. <laughs> that sounds well, like the, that? that sounds like a sweet deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of think it is, but you know, they, they wear themselves out too. They want to get up and go hunting every morning, but they got to train till dark every day. Yeah. So, um, but and and they go a lot. But what I like about it is they take the client dogs out. They take the young guys out. Even if they take the older test dogs too, that deserve to go. And they just start running through the kennel and, hey, this dog needs to go and this dog needs to go. And we try to put these young dogs in a, in a, a really positive first, you know, first to 10 hunts, first, you know, first hunt, second hunt, third hunt, a really controlled, positive environment that, that you know, it takes birds to, to make a hunting dog. You, it doesn't really matter how much money you spent on training. It doesn't matter how many months. It doesn't matter actual hunting dog it takes experience and birds and then that's where mm-hmm. experience and birds meet training that's how you build a hunting dog so these guys try to do that with, with the young dogs you know yeah, you're, you're talking about those ponds right on your property like right there outside your house right correct because yeah. jordan you could just walk you could walk out his back door and just walk down to these places and i know i don't remember the number you told me the number of ducks they shot just off those pools last year and it was like they just pound them they just pound nice. them out there 
what, yeah, what was the it, number? It, it's a couple hundred a year. Okay, awesome. Um, before before it freezes. Yeah. You know, once it all freezes, they can go to the river on the leases that I have on the river and the blinds that I have on the river, as long as we don't have hunters in them. But um, we have no, we have 10 or 15 blinds available to hunt with the HO. So um, <laughs> they can go and do whatever they want to do as long as, you know, hunters come first. And then, you know, and it's good for them dogs to get out there and, and just get real life experience with with somebody that knows knows the dog really well because they train the dog. They know its tendencies and weaknesses and its strengths. And before those dogs go home, we can work on some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a so, it's a tough deal for 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 them guys. They they really hate it. <laughs> so yeah. your your main business is training dogs for other people, and then running the guide service, and then also litters from time to time. That's kind of the whole yeah. gamut of everything. Uh, my, you know, my main deal is is I'm not a very smart guy, and everybody says don't ever make your passion your job. Well, I love training dogs. So I made that my job. And then I love to hunt, so I made that part of my job. <laughs> so I'm not real bright when it comes to that sort of thing. But um, you know, yeah. my dad always told me, he said, "If you're not going to be, you know, if you're not going to be very smart, you better be tough." I'm going to tell you what, I'm super tough. <laughs> Do you ever regret making your passion your job? Are there days where you're like, "Oh man, Every I sucked the passion out of it"? Every day, really. Every day. Yeah. Oh. Because you, you, then it's no longer your passion, and it's your job. Yeah. Yeah, but you know you what I mean. Now a... I do, I do, I do love it. Don't get me wrong, but there's times you know, like I wish I could walk away from, you know, like a lot of people when they when they go to work and they go home, they're done. Mm-hmm. You know that the death could be there tomorrow. We have, you know, living, breathing animals here, and lots of clients with with DHO and FLK. So when you make your passion your job, it changes the game. Yeah. It changes the game. And there are some days you're like, I just want to get on my Harley and I will come back in five months. <laughs> yeah. Just the weight of it all and the pressure of it all and the every second of it yeah. all just is overwhelming. Yeah. yeah the pressure yeah. Is, is, is people don't understand it. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I, but I do enjoy it. I still got the passion for it. Obviously, if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing it. But there are some, there are times, you know, the, the problem that I have now. It's like when I got DHO up and running, I've had it for a few years now. And now, of course, I don't kind of do anything. I have to do everything first class, and that's mm. my problem a lot of times. So I go wide open. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it's really cut back into me and my wife fun hunt. We used to go all the time together. That's really mm. cut back into our fun hunting together. Because she's got to take care of clients, and i got to take care of clients. You know, that sort of thing. So it's really cut back, cut back that time. Yeah. And that, and it's then interesting. What, so I, I do, re, the biggest thing about DHO that I regret is, is that it, it cuts back that, that fun time with family and wives and children and, and stuff like that. Because if somebody's going to pay you, you know, some money to hunt, it's our responsibility to, to do our best to give them a great experience. Well, guess what? Our experience is, aren't the greatest anymore. You know what I mean? We, we lose those experiences trying to please people. Yeah. You know, it just, it just goes to show you that you in life, you know, I know you've got this great relationship with your wife and the great place and everything and, and keeping centered 
with your relationships and, and, and with me, I believe it to be spirituality as well is so important because when your dream does become your job, it does, it doesn't fulfill you on, in, in and of itself. You know, it's yeah. like, no yeah. matter how much success you have, you have to still have these other things that ground you in your life because it's not it, achieving your dreams. Isn't now I've never fully achieved mine, but listening to you, yeah. it's not, what you think it's going to be when you start out, I guess is a good way to say it. No, no. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's funny because everybody's like, oh, I wish I was you. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> you, you, get to go do it, you get to have fun. When you go home from your job, you're done. Yeah. You know, you, you, know, you really don't. But one thing we do to get away, and it's hard to do in the wintertime, obviously, but I have done it, is we both ride Harley. Mm-hmm. And absolutely love it. That That is my... That is my saving grace or my relax. That's my spot is we, mm-hmm. we ride our Harleys. And that, that's what I really, really like to do. That relaxes me. Well, you've got such beautiful country out there to do it in too. I mean, there is just beautiful. Yeah, for sure. So how's the hunting but been yeah. this year for you guys out there? You know, it started out fabulous. Um, we usually don't take clients until right around Thanksgiving, but we, we have some groups that come in every year. They're dog clients of ours too. And they're, they're really good friends of ours, you know, more importantly. And they come every year beginning, uh, middle of November. And, and we had a really good push of birds first, you know, right away. We were doing great. And I was a little bit concerned about it because it got really cold up north. Yes, I was all the storms in North Dakota and stuff. And it got really, really cold up there. Well, we got a huge push of birds. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we don't want that. Now they're going to be here for months and months and months. We won't even be able to shoot them. So they're going to be yeah. so wise. But what ended up happening was so we had two good, super good weeks. And then it got to 70. It was 75 degrees <laughs> here. Wow. And and they so they moved back up north. So all the lakes and ponds up north of us froze. So it pushed a bunch of them down. Not all of them, but a bunch. Um, the geese aren't here yet, but the, quite a few ducks. But then the ducks went back north, which is exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Because if they now they can start migrating like normal, you know, they're trickling all all year long instead of having them all here right now. Yeah, you know, our duck season goes until the end of January. You guys shoot so mostly mallards. Uh, have most of the gadwalls and widgeons and pintails move south? You know. When we were shooting a lot of birds a few weeks ago, we were shooting mostly teal, gadwalls, widgeons, that sort of thing. Very few mallards. Hmm. Um, now we're starting to see a few more mallards. Um, we had some hunters with us the last week or week and a half. You know, a couple of different groups. They shot a pile of birds, and, and they shot mostly mallards. Um, we're still shooting some gadwalls and some teal, but we'll shoot those all year. We'll, we'll shoot teal and widgeon and gadwall all year. Like in January, we'll shoot the the, the most stud looking green wing widgeon drakes you've ever seen. <laughs> and, and for some reason, they just kind of hang out. I don't know. I don't know why, but they just do. But the migration is hard to figure now. out. It's hard to figure out here in Kansas. I shot my first limit of all greenheads in October of my life this year, and uh, for the last couple weeks, it's been mallards and pintails is basically all we've seen 
And but yet there you guys are. You're and I know you're quite a bit west of of where we're at, but you're north, significantly north. And the migration is just hard to figure out, isn't it? It is. And the migration is getting more west. Like mm-hmm. where we live right now in western Nebraska out here is the best. You know, I know there's people in Nebraska who argue, but there is no argument. Where we live is the best waterfowl hunting in the state by far, and it's not even close. Um, our river doesn't freeze. The duck was tons of corn. Ducks and geese to come and they stay and they don't go anywhere. They really don't. We have a lot of warm water flues, a lot of creeks that don't freeze. And so if the river does flush up a little bit, they'll just move on to those and be back back to the river when it opens up. They don't really go anywhere. And with, with that is, you know, there's a lot of pressure. But out here, it's 99% private. Yeah. So it's it, it so which is a good thing for, for us. So um, public is tough out here. There are some public areas, but it, it's really tough out here. Um, let's let's move into. I want to move back into the kennel, and I know last time we had talked about COVID and how it kind of shut down all the trials and everything. But I know that it opened back up. And I'd be curious to hear what was it like as it opened back up? Um, how did they run the seasons differently than normal? And, and how did, how'd you guys fare um, with the whole trial season? You know, it did open back up a little bit. Um, they canceled the master national on us, which was very disappointing. Um, it was in Minnesota. So there are certain states that I'll get into politics. There are certain states that are, you know, not as user friendly with COVID as, as Nebraska or South Dakota or something like or Wyoming or something like that is. But they canceled the the, the, the Master National in Minnesota, but they, we ended up having the Grand in Kentucky. And, you know, that went real well. We passed nine dogs there. And, and um, I made my 40th Grand Hunter Retriever champion, which is was, was a good milestone in my career. And Georgie's mom, Isla, passed the grand as well she got her first grand pass you need to pass it one more time to get her grhrch her grand archer champion title sweet and she did that pregnant she oh wow she ran she ran what okay let's see about this so i'm looking at my wife i'm looking at eileen right now how she had these two weeks after we got home from the grand <laughs> that's unbelievable how, phys- how could she amazing. do that physically? She just handled it? Yeah, she's fine. I mean, they're in shape, and she's got desire and want to. And and, mm-hmm. if, and and now I will tell you, it was the weather was perfect for it. So the thing when you run you run a pregnant female is you have to really watch the, to the heat, the temperature. You don't mm-hmm. ever want to get in a pot. Well, we went to Kentucky this year. And I'm thinking, oh man, if she would have ever got hot or it had been a really hot day, I wouldn't have ran or I'd scratch her. I'm just saving mm. puppies. But it was a nice, cool time the whole time we were there for the whole two weeks. And she ran, she ran amazing. She was absolutely mm. amazing. And she could see her getting bigger by the day. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. But she, 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 she did amazing. But, you know, we, we, we did run some tests. One thing that we're starting to do here at the kennel is we're starting to have our own hunt tests here. Oh, wow. Um, I'm starting, I'm starting an AKC club here and I am starting an HRC club both here because, you know, if certain states around us are going to, you know, shut down, 
you know, just for instance, Colorado, you know, they're pretty crazy about the COVID stuff. Um, and if they start shutting down, we still have a business to run. We still have dogs to run. We still have clients to make happy. We still have a job to do. So if I can hold hunt test at my house, then we're going to do it. Yeah. So I started two clubs, an AKC and an, and an HRC club. You know, one's going to be Flatlander Retriever Club. That's the AKC club. And the other one's going to be Flatlander HRC. And we're going to have our own test here. And that's going to keep down on some of our travel because it's our responsibility to, to run these dogs to the best of our, our ability. And if I can have them here, I'm going to have them here. You know? Um. Give me an update on on Georgie's dad. And for those of you that you're just listening for the first time, my dog is Georgie, which is from Flatlander Kennel. And so he was just talking about her mom. And this is Georgie's first hunting season. So she's got about 15, 16 hunts under her belt. So how is Flash, her dad, doing? Her dad is a maniac in a good way. He, he's a great dog. Um he didn't pass the grand this year, which was really disappointing. Um, he got into, he, he went out in the third series, I think, or what it was. I can't remember, but um, he, he he ran the blind. He couldn't see me very well on the blind retrieval and the land blind. He got in some taller cover, and he just couldn't see me very well. He just really didn't pass, which was mm-hmm. super surprising because he's one of the best dogs we have in the whole county. He, he's an amazing animal. And it's funny, he's, he is five years old, and he has never hunted a day in his life. Now, why is that? I have plenty of hunting dogs. I have, mm-hmm. you know, Jet, who's a nine-time Grand Hunter Retriever champion. I got Pearl. I got Trip. So he, I, I, he is a very wound-up dog. He's got a lot of go, a lot of drive, a lot of passion, a lot of want to. And I have all these other dogs that have, you know, they're, they're a little bit older and I've been hunting those dogs. Now, with that being said, Jet is nine and a half now and he's one of the nicest dogs I've ever touched in my life. He's passed the grand nine times, but he's nine and a half. So I am going to start hunting Flash for the first time this winter. And he's now, because you got to understand I, something in my line of work and what I do for a living is train dogs, run, hunt, test, mm-hmm. title dogs. I don't need a, 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 a Joe Blow hunting dog. I need the dog. Mm-hmm. So I have all these dogs that we own and client dogs, for a matter of fact, that I can take and grab and hunt. So when they're, you know, four, you know, four or five years old or three or four or five, whatever they are, um, and they've, they've showed the maturity, they're running the test, they're doing a good job, they're getting the titles. Well, when those dogs retire and they get older like Jet and they're starting to re- He's not retired, but when they get older and they're done hunting, then the next group comes up that are, that are already highly, highly trained, and then they start the hunting career. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Because if you start a dog, because we're looking for a hunt test dog, a field trial dog, and then a then a hunting dog. Mm-hmm. And so if you start some of these really fired up dogs too young in the hunting world, they never can materialize to their potential in, a, in the hunt test world because they get why, too why is that? too crazy too crazy so the, there's more excitement hunting than they experience in the training the, there can be it's not, it's not really the excitement it's the uh, cheating the water 
here, cheating the water there, or mm-hmm. breaking in a hunt situation, or all the bad because hunting deteriorates training. One hundred percent. You could have your dog trained to the best you can possibly do, and you hunt it, and you're like, "What in the hell? You don't even know what you're doing." Hunting deteriorates yeah. training, and because you can't control every variable in, of it, right? That would be the reason you why you can't. You can't. Yeah. You know, I mean, you may own, you may be a NASCAR driver, and you may have this car that goes super, super fast, but you're not taking it to the grocery store, and it's the same sort of thing here. You have these mm-hmm. super nice dogs now, but now, now, granted, I have the pick of all these wonderful animals, so I, I've got a little bit different situation than most. You know what I mean? So it's my my business is is building test dogs and trial dogs, and having some great puppies. Now, when they re- when they reach that level of okay, he is great, they are great, she's great. Now we're going to go hunting. Is there something in a dog like like Flash who's been five years, never been on a hunt? Do to the in their mind, is it just the same thing when they're out hunting versus the stuff you run them? Because I mean, you're doing live birds and you guys are shooting guns and everything. Is there something different to them or more exciting? Or in their mind, is it the same? Everything is different. Everything, Mm -hmm. like getting up in the morning up in the back seat of my truck in the dark driving to the blind in the dark getting in the dog pit in the dark then shooting light shows up and we've got 15 dozen decoys out in the river they've never seen 15 dozen decoys in a training situation nobody does that mm-hmm. you know two two or three spinners running all everybody calling the, the the chaos of calling and the shooting and the birds landing in the river and floating downstream and Everything about it is, is, is foreign to them. Yeah. Now, when I get them out of the pit, so we have dog pits that they can sit in, they can put their head out, they can see, but they can't break. So, but when I get them out of the pit, and I line them up like I do at a test, I line, now, now we're okay. Now I'm lining them up. They're like, okay, this is natural. This is muscle memory. I've done this. But they've never looked out over 15 dozen decoys. And six birds floating down the river. And somebody choking on a burrito. And people <laughs> high-fiving. You, you know what I mean? It just yeah. They've never had that situation. And i got a funny story for you. So the, 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 the best dog I've ever trained in my entire life I owned, his name was Breaker. Um, he was four-time Grand Retriever champion, four-time MNH, UAA, the whole nine yards. And he, he would have been... 10 plus Grand Retriever champion if I could have ran him, but I just didn't have enough room because I had to run client dogs. But anyway, he was the best dog I've ever touched in my life. He didn't, he was a Grand Hunter Retriever champion. He was a master hunter and he was qualified all age by the time he was four. He never hunted a day in his life. So when he was like four and a half years old, I'm like, okay, we're going to take him hunting for the first time. And I took him to a goose pit on a big meadow, like, you know, 25 dozen full bodies, the whole nine yards. There was like three or four of us. We shot our birds and he had no idea what was going on. Like he was so wound up, so excited. You know, he'd overrun a bird. He didn't, didn't see this many decoys. And, and I came home. I told Eileen, I said, this is the worst 
brand hunting retriever champion hunting dog in the history of the world. <laughs> history. I was so pissed. I'm like, this, he is terrible. This is the worst hunting dog I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> but he had all the titles. He had everything. But he ended up dying a few years ago as the best hunting dog I've ever seen. Hmm. So that's my so point. Let it, is, is it, it takes, when training meets experience, that's when you got a monster. You can't do experience, then training. It's training and then experience. Or, or if you do if you do experience and then training, that's you're gonna have a you're gonna have a disaster. So you gotta yeah. do the training and then and then mesh in the experience and then hopefully your training's good enough, it doesn't deteriorate and it matches the experience and then you got a great animal. Because I'm gonna tell you, it took about it took about ten hunts on breaker for him to really know what was going on. And then we shoot and then we shoot a lot of birds. And when I say ten hunts, I'm not talking ten hunts and and, you know, stare at the sky for 10 hunts. I'm talking 10 hunts with a bunch of birds killed over him. And every facet, every, you know, scenario that you could have, he saw. And I'm going to tell you, when he was 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, he was the absolute finest hunt dog I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, he would chase cripples in the river. He would dive. He would, I mean, he would, it was unbelievable. <laughs> but but if, then if I wanted to, though, if he was getting lost or a bird was, uh, you know, floating away and wounded, I could go, tweet. He'd turn around and look right at me. Like, okay, now we'll I cast him. So then the training kicked in. Yeah. You see, you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. I so think it, it, it makes me dogs. feel like, better flat. that even, even someone like you can go out with a dog like that and walk away feeling totally defeated and demoralized about your dog's performance. It makes, it makes me feel better. Oh, oh yeah. Because, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I come home and I was saying stuff I can't say on the air. I'm like, get that son of a, away from me. He is the worst. Dog I have get, get away from me. I don't even want to look at you. You're not even going. I had other dogs. I, back in the day, I had pistol and bride, two females that were incredible hunting dogs. And they had all the big titles too. So that was my point. So they were getting older. They had their grand archery camp pile and their match hunters and their qualified all age. And they're unbelievable hunting dogs. And because that's who I use. Well, they were getting older. So now it's time to break breaker. You know, now it's time to teach breaker how to, to take over the ring. So, but instead of like taking breaker, like every single day, so you're going to learn how to do this right now. I would take him. Then the next day I would take bride. So the next day I would take pistol. Okay, now it's your turn again, Breaker. Now we're going to take you again. And then we just kept rotating, and I would put Breaker on hunts that I knew that would really be good for him, really help his confidence, and be relatively simple, and, and he would succeed. Now, the hunts that were going to be really, really hard, that took a, a really experienced dog, and maybe like have seven, eight guys with me, I would take pistol or bride because they could handle that mm-hmm. all day long without missing a beat if i did that to breaker that's a wrong situation that's a wrong scenario hmm. so that's what i'm talking about your flash is just going to start because it's it's his turn now mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah. so here's here's kind of a question kind of thinking about all the stories you're telling with the dogs and all that but um you know it's it's no secret with with hunters and their dogs um and we all know this that, that there's a special bond you end up 
creating with your dog going out there and hunting and all that. Um, do you, do you as a trainer have the same bond with, with your dogs you run for hunt tests as you do taking them out hunting? Well, probably, probably a closer bond because here's the deal. I'm with those dogs every single day, whether I want to be or not. (laughs) And where you guys hang out with them at the house and go hunting, that sort of thing. I'm with them in the trenches running tests and trials with them from March until November 1st. I mean, we're getting after it. You know, we're training super hard. We're getting upset. We're, we're doing great. We're getting upset. So you have all these ups and downs, and then you start seeing them to become great, and then, then you go to go hunting with them. So your guys' bond with your dogs is a little bit different because you get to hang out at the house. You're doing your thing. You go train us a little bit. Oh, that's cute, that sort of deal. But ours is more business-like. Mm-hmm. And it takes me a little while to, I would say, respect, that's not even a word I'm looking for, or bond, or, it takes me a little while for a dog to earn my respect. I guess that's what you should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's why. It's, it's, yeah, we have all these great young dogs coming through the kennel, and they're great, and they're fabulous, and they're fun to train, and they do great. That's, that's all fine and dandy. But when the rubber meets the road, and the chips are down. Everybody has those dogs that are very special. If you can count on them to pull you through, if you're running a grand, that's really, really hard. And you have the breakers and the jets and the flashes of the world that do it when nobody else is doing it. That's, that's, that's what earns my respect. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then they, then they earn the right to go hunting. Cool. If that, because yeah. you got to understand, I have, I have, mo- I own multiple, multiple dogs, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. and and you know, Jet's nine and a half years old, and he's a super stud, but he's retired, so now it's Flash's turn. So these these dogs that are coming through, it takes them a little while to earn my respect. Now I can look at a young dog and go, "That's a really nice dog," and and you love them and you like them and you you respect their work and you respect their effort, but. When you get a dog like Jet, who's passed the grand nine times, or the breakers or the flashes, and they're passing when nobody else is passing, there you know you watch ten dogs in a row go out on this one setup, and Jet comes up there and pounds it. You're like, that's a dog, and those dogs are in your respect, mm-hmm. and it, it it doesn't happen overnight. You know what I mean? It, it for me, yeah. I've seen so many dogs, I've touched so many dogs. It just it just it is what it is. And they earn their respect. Now we all teach. We don't. We, we we treat them all with respect. But when the rubber meets the road, and you you've got to grab that special dog because you got buddies coming to town. You know there's going to be a big hunt for DHO, or you just you grab that dog. Where I grab right now, I grab Jet. He's he is the beast of the whole. So it is hard. It, it's hard for a dog to really hold a special place in your heart. The select few are the ones that you'll be talking about 10 years from now that really bond with you deeply. Yeah. In, in, yeah. 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 You're exactly right. It's exactly, Cause you have got so many and, and dogs and all your dogs are so amazing. They has to be, you're looking yeah, for the Michael I mean, Jordan. They're all great. Don't get me wrong. But the ones yeah. that truly, truly special mm. ones are, they don't come along very often. 
Not every day. And it's funny is I went to get, you're going you're gonna to think this is crazy, but I've got this dog vest, okay? It's an Avery Bose parka. It is held together by zip ties. <laughs> I, I literally stitched up the corners of the shoulders with, with zip ties. This thing has got to be first year they came out, okay? I don't know how long ago that was. It's been 10 years ago, maybe. But I have this Avery Boater Parker. And I go to get it out of the kennel and it's gone. I'm like, wait a second, where where's this where's this where's this vest? And Andrew or Jeff, I can't remember who it was, one of my assistants come up with a dog, with a client dog, wearing this Avery's Boater Parker. I said, No, 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 no. <laughs> this does not get used. Don't ever touch this. Don't ever put this on another dog. It, this is like you, you this is off women. And they didn't know that. I said, this is off women. Well, the deal with this vest is, is years ago, I had a client dog that lived with me for 10 years. And he was basically ours. And he ended up passing away here of cancer at 13 years old. That was his vest. And then when he was done and retired, Breaker was coming through the system. And he started hunting at four years old. So O'Malley was getting to be eight or nine and retiring from, 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 the, from the, you know, just slowing down. So now it's time to get Breaker involved. Well, when I took Breaker, he wore that vest. And then when Breaker retired and, and, and it was Jet's turn, Jet wore that vest. That's Jet's mm-hmm. turn. You see what I it's mean? The king, it's the king's robe. It, it, you should see this thing, too. I'm going to tell you right now, if David Carrington or Avery and Banner were listening to me right now, they're like, don't tell them that story about zip ties. <laughs> but this thing is so old. It's been through Bob wire. It's, it, this thing is, is beat to hell. Man, literally it's held with zip ties, like, like stitches. Like stitches. It, I have zip tie stitches. It's unbelievable, actually. That is, and, um, that is awesome. It, that is awesome. Yeah, that thing so needs to be on a plaque. That. that vest needs to be like put in a frame at some point in time. It needs to be. It needs to be like in a frame with the names of the dogs that wore it. I, I'm gonna do a Facebook post. I, I've been thinking about doing this. The next time I go out hunting with Jet or something, he's wearing it. I'm gonna take a picture of it. I'm gonna do a Facebook post on our FLK page to kind of say the story of this vest because this thing is, it is ran through the ringer. And I and Eileen's like, you should buy a new one. I'm like, shut your mouth. I don't know who you are right now. No, no. I have I have ten of them in the kennel. But it's not that one, you know. And so now the dogs that go hunting with me, the dogs that can fit into this extra large Avery Voter Parka, are O'Malley had it. You know, O'Malley was eight-time Grand Herd Retriever Champion, Master Hunter QAA. Then Baker Ward, the best dog I've ever touched. Four-time Grand Herd Retriever Champion, MNH4, QAA. Now Jet's wearing it. Nine-time Grand Herd Retriever Champion, Master Hunter, Master National Hunter. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? So it's that level of dog that wears this vest. That's cool. That, you know, that's and then in cool. Deborah Andrew, I can't remember which one, come in with a super young dog, like a gun dog. I'm like, whoa, why is Sparky wearing this damn vest? <laughs> You're get, get it off of him. You know what I mean? You're killing me. You have 10 of them to choose from, and you choose this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we are starting to run down on our time here. I do want to um, – talk to you a little bit about Georgie and get a little feedback from you. So um, I'm really happy with the seasons that the season that she had that she's having. 
Um, she started off completely steady. Then she went through about three or four hunt period where I was having some issues with her, um, got that corrected. So now she's the point where, in fact, I was so proud of her. She was steady the other day when I was, we were hunting out of a layout boat and there was, uh, four, four guys total hunting another dog. And I was over by the A-frame. Georgie was in a layout boat and a duck got shot and she was steady without me even being over there watching another dog retrieve. And I, I'm telling you, I couldn't have been more beaming happy that she was steady during during that situation. So I'm really happy with where she's at. I've got some things on the off season to work on, mostly the handling and the casting, which we're going to have Chris back on here in a few weeks. And we're going to do an entire uh, podcast on that one subject. But the annoying issue that I'm dealing with is, is, is the whining. Um, now, she's, she yep. doesn't whine the whole hunt. She typically whines in two scenarios. When the calling starts, her whining, it's not a really loud whine, but she is whining. And then if she's hunting with another dog and she watches the, and she's honoring the other dog, she's steady and sits there, but she's whining during through that process. So kind of give me a quick, how should I be dealing with this issue? You know, that's, a, that's just her desire coming out. But the thing you guys have got really, and anybody listening that has a dog that makes noise, whether that be at a hunt test or a hunting situation or any kind of scenario, you've got to be very, very careful because whining turns into barking. And barking is, you know, how that, that isn't going to work. So, <laughs> and there's no really way, there's nothing that you can open up a book and if you've got a noisy book, that you open up a book and say, I'm going to stop the whining. There's no how to stop a whining chapter. If, if you've got to pull a choke, pump the gas, figure out what what makes them run, how to fix it. And with her, it's funny because uh, Isla and Slack, neither one of them whine or make noise to whine at all. Um, what I would probably do is I would put the collar. What do you usually run your collar on? What level? Um, I have it sitting on a three or four and then adjust from there. Okay. So when you're when you're calling, if you have other people shooting, you said you had four guys there. So you technically mm-hmm. don't really have to be shooting anyway. So yeah. just and I know it's hard to do, but that's the right thing to do is put your gun down, grab your transmitter, and then when you start calling, and you, you can call and have your transmitter in your other hand, and you start mm-hmm. hearing her make noise, just nick her, or, you know, a, a continuous nick like we call talked about on a three. Start start with like a start start with something low. Something that's mm-hmm. not going to make her make more noise. Start with maybe a two, and then get you know give her some stimulation with the collar and say quiet, no yeah. quiet, and then go back and then, and then she starts it again, no quiet. You know you just you just keep doing that until she's quiet. And mm-hmm. if you have another dog there and she's honoring and she starts making noise, you, no quiet. You know you mm-hmm. you have to now if that's not working, you can um you can amp up the the um pressure too now i will tell you if if it gets to be bad or you think it's where it if you think it's unacceptable do not let her get those birds mm-hmm. for nothing yeah. take that away from her um because here's the deal i i don't think a dog sits there the, the dogs are break the dogs at whine i don't think they sit there and if you see the bird and they're whining, and and if you don't let them go get it, I don't think they sit there and think oh, I was whining. Yeah, Dang it, I, I shouldn't be whining. 
But what I do know is they don't get rewarded for their whining. You see, you mm-hmm. see my point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So take that. And if you can walk out there and you make her sit there and you can walk out there and you can pick up the bird yourself or have the other dog. And if she has to sit there, let her sit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably some situations you have to have her go get them because the water's too deep or whatnot. But yeah. um, if she's making noise, do whatever you've got to do. Maybe even reach over and grab her and go quiet, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. by the muzzle. Anything, something. There's nothing that's going to you know, fix it immediately. Um, now, if there's something that you can live with, that's fine. But don't let it get worse. And, yeah. and if you don't work on it all the time, constantly work on it, constantly work on it, then it's probably going to get worse before it, you know it'll never get better. Yeah. I think I've been on the right track. I think I've been a little inconsistent um, with the nicking. And with her not the, – the few hunts she went through where she wasn't steady, we finally got to a solo hunt, and it was just awful. And so she didn't retrieve – like she just – her retrieving was over on like the last four birds that I shot. And um, that was like the last time that she was not steady. It was like that hunt, I guess something clicked in her head, and she was like, okay – um, I'm well, not going to do that but anymore. you got to be careful because so. that, that, that breaking dog is still in there. Yeah, sure. I know. He's still in there. And so you always got to be ready. And the thing about a breaking dog or a barking dog or whatever, but the breaking dog, that is a capital punishment sin because mm-hmm. that's dangerous for everybody involved, especially the dog. So mm-hmm. if that dog breaks, you need to amp up your pressure on your collar to the point where she's not worth it to her to break. Well, and, and going back to um, the whole episode we did on the e-collar training, um, I can stop her. So when she breaks, she doesn't get the retrieve. She, she stops. Good. Um, so, which is, you know, a big thing. Thankfully, kind of the, the the groundwork that you helped me set with her on that and trained her clear up to a six or a seven is already shown to really help. To which I can stop her and bring her back. So yep. that that's a yep. positive. There and you for know, sure. and you know what, it might be a good beneficial thing for you if you're doing a solo hunt. Is even if birds aren't coming in, you can call and act mm-hmm. like they're coming in and set her up. And yeah. turn and turn the collar up and mm-hmm. get into her for making noise while yeah. you're calling. And now she's gonna make noise. She's gonna yip and yap. I get it, but they, but you're hunting by yourself. Who cares? No birds are coming anyway. Who cares? Because you're worried yeah. about her. So you can just set her up and then figure out what level makes her stop. And yeah. if you get onto her with a you know six, seven, eight, or whatever you got, and she's gonna yip and yipe, and that's gonna it's just gonna happen. But you get into her and like I said, quiet, you know, and get mad yeah. at her. Mm-hmm. Then she may be like, okay, we're we're good, we're good. Yeah, I, I screwed up. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, that, I, that's I, you no know, fun to do. I can tell you, but she she took clear up to the seven on the collar through all the training you had me do with her and everything. I've had a couple yeah. times in the field where I've hit her with a two, and you would think that she was caught in a bear trap. I mean, I was like, you are being such a little baby. I'm not playing that. I mean, it's like, come on, it's a two. And she's just, I mean, unraveling. Like, come on. Yeah, like I told you in that one podcast, it's, it's just noise. Yeah. Like, they're, 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 they're trying to tug at your heartstrings when you do that. Because you know better because you had her up to a seven. 
Yeah. You know, she's just yeah. being a drama queen when that happens. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I, she didn't get any sympathy for that one. She got, she got gave her a little bit yeah. of a scolding. Like, because there was a, someone else with me there and I'm like, look, I trust me. That didn't hurt her. You could hold that too in your hand. It would be just fine. She's just being a baby. Yeah. 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 And it's always, it's always, you know, embarrassing or whatever when you do that in front of people and you're like, Oh my God, he's killing her. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just, yeah. No, I do it all the time. I'm like, no, no, this is just a dog. It's just, he's just being a baby or whatever. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. you know, it's like, you're like your parents, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to act like it's a seven? Let's move it to a seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. If you're gonna act like it, then we'll just keep doing it. Yeah. One thing about your dogs that train in Georgie that is just amazing to me that uh, this is my third dog now, but it's my first dog from this type of bloodline. She has she, she picks up on things like her marking and just her seeing birds in the air after 15 hunts. It took my last dog probably a couple years to get to the level of, I mean, actively looking for birds, seeing for birds, marking, and that's that's got to be just straight bloodline because that's nothing I did. Well, it's, just it's been genetic. amazing. It's one hundred percent genetic. It's it's pure, you know, genetic prey drive. They they want that. They want birds. That that they wanted, mm. and they're not doing it to make you happy. They're doing it for themselves. Yeah. And that's just pure prey drive, bird want. I mean, that's that's just them and and brain. You know, they you know we try to breed dogs that have some brains and some desire, and that's mm-hmm. just both of those things coming together. Like, hey, oh, they come from the sky. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. like when we were training young, when we train young dogs, um, test dogs and young dogs coming through the system that are going hunting for the very first time, they don't understand that birds come from the sky. They think chase mm-hmm. throws those things. They think birds come from chase and Malachi and and, and those and, and, and my bird throwers. Mm-hmm. They they don't they don't. It takes them a while to realize. Oh, they come from the sky. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and some dogs catch on to it really really fast, like she did. And some dogs it takes a while. It takes a long time. You know, and everybody's like, "Oh, I'm taking my dog teal hunting." That that's the worst hunt you could do for a dog because they can't see him coming in anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they're coming in so low and so fast. They don't. They don't see them come in. You know, the, the good ones, that, like a goose hunt or, you know, that's not a great first hunt, but the mallard hunts where they're coming in kind of higher and they can see them, that's when it starts to click. Mm-hmm. Well, her her first hunt was a teal hunt, and it was in this in this cornfield that had a nice strip of, of green vegetation that came up through it, and the teal were coming right up the chute, easy to see. Hunt number one, she was struggling a little bit, just like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. But I'm telling you, from the yeah. morning of hunt two, there was something completely different about her. It's like from the very start, yeah. after having that one hunt of experience, it was like a different dog. It was just amazing how quickly she just picked things up. Good. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good to hear. She should. She's, her mom and dad are about as good as it gets. So, and, and, and Flash is going hunting here pretty quick for the first time. And that'll be – and I, and I bet that he catches on to it. So good. I mean, I think it'd be natural if he wants to so bad. But mm-hmm. um, it's his turn to kind of come to the ranks and take over the the, the zip tie vest. <laughs> yeah, he you know? the zip ties. <laughs> well, <laughs> Seriously, he's gonna wear it. So uh, that's awesome. 
Well, Jordan, I think I've, Jordan, I've run through all of the agenda list. I know that we're going to have Chris back up on again for the handling, but I think that's I've run through all the list of things I want to talk about. Well, I mean, it's it's an endless list of things I would like to talk about, <laughs> but for today, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that sounds like a a good list, and like you said, probably could we could probably think of questions and and our own dog questions for uh, for hours and. <laughs> Um, pretty rare to have someone with the knowledge of Chris at our disposal um, to, to help with our, our dog um, problems and questions. So I uh, definitely appreciate you coming on, Chris. And, and like Elliot said, we'll um, we'll get you scheduled up for uh, coming on and, and we'll be able to go through the, the handling portion of training a dog as well. So um, go ahead, yep. Chris. Let people know, again, where they can find you, website, uh, social media, anything like that. Yep. Um, you can find us on um, Facebook at Flatlander Kennels, Inc. Uh, we do quite a bit on Facebook. Um, we do have a website, uh, flatlanderkennels.com. We don't do very much on Instagram. Um, you can find Duck Haven Outfitters on Facebook. Duck, Duck, Duck Haven Outfitters LLC is on Facebook. We don't do a lot um, on our website, updating our websites as much as we should. But we do a lot on, on Facebook and social media as much as as much as we can. I'm, I'm not a big social media p- person, but we we try as much as we can. But and then you can also call me. Um, if you got major problems, you know three zero eight two four nine zero seven zero seven, or you can email me at cj at flatlanderkennels dot com. I get a. You'd be surprised how many people have heard me on your guys' podcast. That hey, I got a dog that does this. What do I do? I heard you on Ellie's podcast. I heard. You'd be shocked at how many people this actually done. I'm surprised. I've gotten so many, so many people calling and and asking. Awesome. Well, we're glad to hear that as well. And, um, you know, we'll do our best right now to have everybody blow up your phone and (laughs) (laughs) because you got all that spare time. (laughs) (laughs) That would be, I I do really good at texting. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and then next our next podcast we'll start talking. You know, um, everybody's gone through force fetch and the whole deal. And we'll just start talking how you how to start to you know build your your retriever to handle. And then we're going to start with three handed casting and move all the way through the steps that we do, and 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 talk about as many of those as we can. It's going to be um, basically like a seminar on a podcast. So, great. Awesome. Speaking of seminars, Chris, I know sometimes you have seminars up there at flatlander with COVID and everything are those all canceled or do you have anything in on the calendar no they're not i'm actually doing a i am actually doing a seminar in boise idaho if anybody's out listening in that area i'm actually doing a seminar in boise idaho on february 20th and 21st of 2021 and that's going to be a two-day in the classroom seminar going from obedience all the way through advanced training on every step that we take, training set everything that we do as far as our program goes. They'll take, and we'll be in the classroom. We're very interactive, big old whiteboards, you know, me drawing pictures and, and asking questions. And they're really interactive. It'll come with a manual, the whole deal. And that, that'll be a really good seminar. That'll be in Boise, Idaho, February uh, 20 and 21. Cool. Keep us updated on those seminars and we can certainly push out those dates. I know I would love to attend one at some point as well. So 
Make sure I need to yeah. keep uh, checking the Facebook page on, but keep us updated on that so we can push that out. Okay. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, I think that uh, that'll wrap it up tonight. So thanks again, um, Chris, for coming on. Um, but that's all we got for tonight, guys. I'm Jordan Duckin Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duckening, and Chris from Flatlander Kindles. And we'll see you guys on the next one. All right. Thanks, guys.